Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma irradiated, and aired live every week, only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Pete and James. Hi, Pete and James. Hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. And also Jesse Barufi, our special guest on this special episode where we're going to talk all about Vertigo Comics, the now soon-to-be-defunct imprint for DC Comics, their mature label. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing all right, Frank. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining. It's So it's interesting that Jesse's on this show about Vertigo Comics. I'm going to credit Jesse for my the resurgence of comic books into my life as an adult. So I was in college when I met Jesse, and at that point, he had he, a big comic book nerd. I'm sure he'll tell us all in, in a second. And he handed me volume after volume of amazing book, and many of them were Vertigo books that kind of made me feel like, oh, comics could be for adults as well, which I now see as sort of a douchey stance. So like, you know, kind of a backhanded compliment to you, Jesse. You gave me comic books again, but you also made me a slight douche in, in the uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I wouldn't take a compliment any other way, Frank. <laughs> but uh, no, that's uh, I'm actually flattered to hear that. Um, but I did uh, actually have that effect on a lot of people. I was kind of the big vertigo and indie comic nerd back then, just, you know, as opposed to now when I'm the same, um, mm. when I was just, you know, given lots of people, just any comics I thought were cool. You know, a lot of them were ones, you know, that were kind of the big popular ones of the time, like Sandman and Watchmen and V for Vendetta, things of that nature. But, you know, I like to think I delve deeper as well. So, yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad I did that to you. And we'll use that transition to go into uh, Pete and James. I know you two uh, are also relatively big Vertigo fans. Um, uh, James, you're probably most notorious on this show for liking Sonic the Hedgehog, which is not a Vertigo book. (laughs) No. Should be. (laughs) No, and I I know my reputation is for liking Sonic the Hedgehog, but actually I, I really loved and I wasn't really into superhero comics growing up. I was into kind of the stuff that Vertigo was publishing, stuff like Sandman and um, I guess Doom Patrol is kind of a superhero thing. But I was into that that kind of more edgy, a little more different sort of thing is what always attracted me to comics. It was never about reading Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. It was about that. And um, I think my my favorite... Don't bring it up yet. We're going to save our favorite books in a little bit. I'm just saying it's my favorite book, I think, period, is Vertigo. Okay, so. is it, it's a vertical title? <clears throat> yeah. All right, cool. Sonic the Hedgehog. Anyways, Pete, <laughs> yeah. uh, you are a make mine Marvel guy. You literally have it tattooed on your neck. I it's do. It's a problem for job interviews. It is. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I bring it up constantly in job interviews. <laughs> yes. A lot of very uh, confused HR personnel out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I it won't be a big surprise for you. I was never a big gung-ho vertigo guy. It took a few specific titles to pique my interest. I, I was well into college before I ever actually picked up Sandman. Yeah, I've grown to uh, appreciate a lot of the uh, the Vertigo stuff over the years. Heck, I was just surprised by the fact that one of the uh, the early books that we read on uh, Near Mint <laughs> together turns out turns out was yeah. Vertigo. Somehow I didn't it completely missed that. So I think it's worth going through at this point what makes a Vertigo book a Vertigo book. Uh, so, and, and you know, we're not, this is near mint. This is non-productive. We're not experts at anything. If you want experts, go to YouTube. That's where they all are. Mm-hmm. No? 
Nonpro has a YouTube at. No. Yeah, but we, we don't <laughs> post anything on that. No, youtube.com slash nonproductive, where we'll turn this into a video. No. Uh, yes, no. So the, the very basics is that DC Comics had, a, for a while, been publishing uh, books that were considered not really adult content, certainly not like mature adult, adult yeah. content, but maybe that went uh, against the restrictions of the Comic Code Authority, uh, things that pushed... Uh, maturity, maybe you didn't not the the traditional superhero comics, but a less traditional graphic novels that were aimed at young adults and adults. Things like Watchmen or uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Right, right, right. And in the early '90s, they had the chance to build their own imprint at DC Comics. Karen mm-hmm. Berger was uh, an editor at DC Comics, and she had hired on a bunch of. Uh, I think British talent, and they had, of course, the 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 idea was that this this these writers from across the pond were much more mature and handled things in a different new voice and a new perspective. And you know, however pretentious that might sound today, at the time it it felt real. And they put together their own imprint and launched Vertigo Comics, which effectively was the adult brand for DC Comics. I think it also bears noting that uh, DC Comics for the Vertigo imprint actually took a step towards the uh, the more creator-owned comic books that we saw uh, coming out later in the 90s. Right. Like with Image. Yeah, this was the era of creator-owned comics. Yeah. Like you you were hotshot comic creators, people who were, you know, buttonfly jeans and, and making a name for themselves. This was definitely their their heyday, and I don't I don't think uh, Vertigo ever went fully creator owned, but there was a, uh, a a content sharing I guess or rights sharing program where the content creators actually did oftentimes have a controlling stake in the characters. And it's interesting because, like, American comics are uh, if they're known for anything, if they're if they're they're cultural like. Leverage is anything. It's one of the first examples where company, like company controlled characters, lived past the generations, right? Mm-hmm. So when when writers and comic creators went off to war in the World War II, in World War Two, they left their comic uh, characters in the hands of editors, and it became Superman became DC's unless the people who created it itself. As Pete was saying, though, something that made Vertigo interesting and different is. Um, you know, with some exceptions, some characters, I think, like Sandman, have obviously grown past kind of, you know, the, that distinct voice. But, I mean, so many of these characters, like Preacher, right? We don't see these characters being picked up by other people, no. you know, and written again. These books kind of stand as their own contained stories, which is neat. Right. Absolutely. And, and again, that, that joint control has actually uh, led to a lot of legal complications and difficulties getting further properties made, like films made, TV series made. That's why it's one reason why you're only seeing a Preacher series now. But there's also a history of a lot of Vertigo comics being uh, adapted or tried at different things you know now yeah. in this this age right we have preacher we've got an adaption of why the last man possibly coming i think even a uh, history of violence has the history movies has was, ties to the comic yeah, and that probably. that movie is quite old yeah but it's interesting because like at this point it's you, you threw what stuff against the wall and saw what st- stuck and definitely 
you know, whether or not you like DC movies or Marvel movies, they do have bigger, like, muscle behind them. There's a reason right. why. And the reason why is because so much of the rights, the, 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 the profits can lie in the company so that they themselves, like, there's, Marvel is attracted to a big company like Disney because it owns all its stuff and it can just, mm-hmm. you know, sell it off. Whereas certain things in, um, you know, certain things in uh, DC's Vertigo, it, it's, it's a harder sell. For, for for no other reason than the audience is more limited. But for that reason, it was always so, uh, like, rarer. And the, the stories you got out of Virgo books tend to have more impact when they did have impact. Of course, Vertigo is, the imprint is going away. The books themselves probably won't, or certainly DC is making an effort to make themselves more attractive by saying, yes, DC is a brand you should be aware of. And we don't have to worry about so many of these other brands. Whether that's good or not, that's for a different show. In this show... We're going to be talking about our favorite Vertigo books and the things that left an impression on us. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first. So when you're talking about like big shots and creator owned and, and and you know cutting edge comic book stories, you got to start with Alan Moore, the man himself, who with Watchmen blew the wait. No, that's not a Vertigo title. It's often thought of as a Vertigo time. Watchmen and V for Vendetta is often thought of as Vertigo. V for Vendetta, I think, eventually did get republished as a... As yes. A, okay. That's kind of a cheat. We can't say that those are our favorites. But something that isn't quite a cheat, Swamp Thing. Alan Moore's run, legendary run on Swamp Thing, was amazing. And it got me really excited to read all these British authors who were doing creative things with, with fantasy in these books, which led directly to The Sandman. I think the biggest Vertigo poll of all time for everyone, or for almost everyone. Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, that arc blew my mind. I still remember being handed every uh, volume of that trade paperback by Jesse in our (laughs) dorm room as I'm trying to read it. I could not believe I was reading this in a comic book. Really just fantastic. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, what do you say about Sandman? It was... You know, just like a comic about like everything. Just it was, you know, just a story about stories and myths and magic. And it worked some DC hero stuff into there as well. Uh, but it was just sort of like an afterthought almost. But overall, just like an epic fantasy tale that I don't think anyone's told anything like it before or since. Um, although. You can definitely spot some of Neil Gaiman's influences. Um, and funny enough that you bring up Swamp Thing, because boy, does he reference Swamp Thing a lot in that comic. <laughs> like, it was one of the things I didn't realize at the time, but I look back and I'm like, boy, Sandman is just Swamp Thing with goths. Oh, all right, good. That's that's actually a nice <laughs> subtitle for the book. I think it'll work. Yeah, and I think... That was like the fourth the, the fourth trade paperback, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, Sandman with goths. You're right, you're right, yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was amazing for me, but it's also like the, probably the most like, you know, I, I listened to the Beatles white album reference for Vertigo, um, Mm. slightly less, only slightly less, um, (laughs) obvious would be Preacher, uh, a book I have never finished. I never finished because at the time Jesse and I were at college and he was giving me this and it was filthy and disgusting and ridiculous and every time I put the book down I was like I can't read any more of this I'd pick it up <laughs> after a few months and be like this is very compelling trash but um, like good and terrible at the same time I never do you know that I've never actually finished Preacher 
Honestly, I thought the ending left a little to be desired, despite how much I enjoyed the beginning of it. So a good good choice on my part. <laughs> Probably the ending does leave a little bit to be desired, but I, I when I read Preacher, and maybe because I was maybe a little too young to be reading it, I had never read anything quite like Preacher, and I think that's what fascinated me so much about it. You know, it just the its style of storytelling, the way the visuals were done, just kind of its devil may care attitude about the whole story it was telling it just it just was yeah it just never fit into anything else i had read even even other vertigo books which seemed to have you know like swamp thing or or sandman which narr- narratives feel even different from something like preacher in in that effect mm. preacher i mean garth ennis like you can say a lot of things about his political views or his philosophies of life based on his comics but the dude was an absolutely solid storyteller and combined with Steve Dillon, they just knew how to put a page of a comic together. It was just economical and fast paced and, and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it, as far as an example of vertigo, it could show what, what crazy things the, the imprint can do. Like this was not just another superhero. It wasn't even just another, uh, you know, Gothic fantasy with swamp thing or not. Like it, <laughs> it, it was completely different. It was absolutely completely different is the best way of describing it. Uh, how, Jesse, how about you? Do you have an, a book that you, uh, that you really love that we haven't talked about? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, so it is going a little off Sandman, but, uh, but the Lucifer series as written by Mike Carey, um, sort of a follow-up to the the character of Lucifer who gave up being the king of hell and, and um, just kind of goes off on his own. Um, and it, it just, it kind of did some, not similar things to Sandman, but it kind of took that world and took it in like the direction of like, what if the devil was the main character of a story? And it's just like incredibly fun, dark fantasy. Um, like I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And I think it's, what's interesting about that is you're still playing in the same, what we're, Whereas, uh, like, the traditional, the big two would be doing, like, a superhero comic and then their spinoff. This spinoff didn't really feel too much like what came before it. And and another cool aspect of uh, being able to publish under Vertigo. Uh, James, you have a, 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 a book that's a little bit more contemporary. A little. I think one of my favorite things I ever stumbled upon um, is Why the Last Man. I don't feel like I've read anything that I felt was almost more perfect. It's just, it's a beautiful type of contemporary storytelling. It tackles something that still feels incredibly relevant. Uh, every day our, you know, society continues to advance. Um, and it's, it's just so fascinating, so well done with so many interesting characters and, just incredible. I, I stumbled upon it, believe it or not, on like a forum where it was like someone had posted like the first chapter and I just, I was hooked. See, piracy works, folks. Piracy I, works. I bought every volume that day off of Amazon. Oh, it was wow. just, it was literally the most intriguing thing I'd, I'd ever seen. And the premise, the characters, none of it disappoints. It, it really, I think it's a testament to this creator controlled sort of storytelling that i mean we're talking about here at vertigo you just couldn't tell a story like this just in the dc universe quote unquote right right brian k vaughn was this his first big popular 
hit? I think it may have been. I, I think it's... It's he, the first one I reckon, I, I remember recognizing his name. Yeah, it's the first it. thing recognizes his name. He did, Um, I think he did, and correct me if I'm wrong, before this was The Runaways? Didn't he write The Runaways oh, before this? He did he write The Runaways. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're he, right. I mean... Actually, I think he did a Swamp Thing run for, for Vertigo as well, he possibly before Y. Yeah, and he did an I X-Men run too, but that was for Marvel, obviously. But yeah, I, I just... and I, the, I guess it shows you how much like influence it has when you get something that you created and you put your name on it. Even if, like, as far as I know, the Runaways characters are mostly his creation, but like they're Marvel. They're, they're, they're characters in the Marvel Universe. Like, I don't... It, I kind of just think of them as Marvel characters. Well, and they're not they're not his characters anymore, you know what I mean? Right. But when I come back to Why the Last Man, like, no one else is, you know, beyond a TV or film adaption that we might see, no one else is returning to this universe and touching this story again. Right. You know, this is, this is something that Brian and um, Paya and Jose, and they did just incredibly you know mm-hmm. very cool very good I, I need to borrow that at some point i've never read and i, I have them read. all i'd love to do a reread through oh, if they ever I mean, get the um the tv series off the ground that would be awesome oh absolutely that'd be awesome all right mm. your turn you got something you want to share with us uh well obvious i mean i don't know how obvious it is but I, I i do really enjoy everything that's been mentioned sandman was my gateway i really liked that uh i also liked why the last man but another one that I found really engaging, I think one of the things that I like about Vertigo is the way that it takes uh, a lot A lot of the books take established ideas and turn them on their heads. A lot of the early issues of Sandman had that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, mm. Sandman himself is that yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Like, it mined the old Golden Age DC comic Sandman right. and completely re-envisioned it. In that vein, one of my favorites of all time was Fables. Bill Williams' reimagining of basically every nursery rhyme or story you've ever heard, where all the fictional characters from your childhood lived together in a world and were kicked out and now living in exile in the real world. And I found that so innovative and imagined. This is before we had Ever After. You know, this is... uh, the only thing I could I could look at as a precedent for that would be uh, the 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 Charmings. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was, for I those was, of I was you like, who are you going to bring up Once Upon a Time? I'm like, no, the Charmings, even deeper cut. Yeah. The, yes. <clears throat> there's the rumor that Once Upon a Time was um, that they had originally wanted to use Fables, but they couldn't secure the rights, so they did it out of their own properties. I'm almost positive that's what it was. Did I say Ever After mm. before? You did. I, I had meant Once mm. Upon a Time. Oh. We knew you did. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing that's kind of neat about um, about Fables was I think the early arcs were all him doing something different. Like there was a murder mystery. They did like crime capers. There was a war story. It just went in so many creative directions. And I really enjoyed that. Absolutely. So how much of Fables have you read, Pete? Uh, I'm actually going back and trying to remember how much of it, if I ever actually finished it. That's the reason why I've been I've want it's been on my pull list forever. I actually have a couple of volumes, and I'm like, all right, I want to read this in the proper order. And then I, for some reason, completely like shut down because of the stress of trying <laughs> to figure out what that was. I wish that some show like Near Mid would go over it and tell me what I should read and what I should avoid. 
Uh, There's but, nothing to uh, avoid in fables. It's oh, just read right. the whole thing. But can you like uh, so it's it's there are volumes. Can you read them out of order, or would you? Is there is there pretty much a good I would, order? To I would definitely recommend reading them in order because there okay. is a very strong narrative through the whole uh-huh. series. All right, so I'll get a publishing list and, and I'll, I'll and I'll go through it. All right, Jesse, the bowl's back in your court. Is there another great recommendation? Since you you are, of course, the godfather of recommending good books <laughs> to people. Ah, well, the that's avenging, very kind. The Avenging Disco Godfather. <laughs> Look it up, people. It's worth it. Yes, absolutely worth it. Um, but one book that I liked a lot that's, I don't know if it's a book that a whole lot of people liked, although it did get a movie made, was uh, The Losers. I don't know. Have you guys read that one? Yeah, yeah. The Losers was good. I, I was aware of it from the movie, and that's where I picked up the book. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I like the idea of it as sort of like an R-rated version of the A-team, you know, <laughs> um, the A-team where they actually killed people. And, um, you know, I think it was based originally on like an old DC comic, although I'm not sure about that. But either way, like what I really liked, I just like anything that has like capers and heists and schemes and the, like the characters were just always doing creative things and, you know, like all kinds of like using military technology to get out of trouble and into trouble. I, it's, you know, it's a short book, only like 32 issues, but I thought it was pretty solid. Cool. The Losers. And I don't know how well that movie did. Um, the movie wasn't great. No, yeah, it, it was not particularly good. But it, it, see, the thing is, it has Chris Evans and Zoe Saldana and Idris Elba. I mean, there's all pieces and Jeffrey D. Morgan, basically all the, all the actors you need. It's a great cast. Yeah. yeah. So moving on. Well, one that I, I had forgotten about until I was going over the uh, the set list for uh, Vertigo, or series list, uh, was Uncle Sam, or might have been uh, more popularly known as it was emblazoned on the cover as U.S. Uh-huh. Which, uh, it, it took one of the smaller comic book companies that DC acquired over the years, published a, seri- a comic series about Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters. And this was one of those times when D- when Vertigo took an existing property and reimagined it in a darker, more serious way, a lot very similar to the way they did Sand, uh, well Sandman, and uh, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. But in this one, uh, it was written by Steve Darnell and Alex Ross. This, I believe, was just after Kingdom Come uh, in 1997. And it was a two-issue prestige format limited series that focused on an old man named Sam, an old homeless man named Sam, going around. And the entire time you're trying, you're questioning his sanity, and he's looking back on the old days and remembering a lot of the atrocities. It's it's really an examination of America's conscience. Wow! And it, it really takes a good hard look at the myth of America and holding it up to the reality and questioning whether or not the ideals of the ideal America that we have from the past ever really existed. That's incredible. There's no, there's no way you'd get that in a mainstream comic book, even more than just a little bit of uh, a little bit of introspection from, from Captain America. And eventually he's, he's right. He's a good guy. No problem. Don't worry about it. Interesting. (laughs) So when you first brought this up, I actually thought like a book that you had forgotten uh, that was Vertigo. I thought you were going to bring up the legend of uh, of all near mint reviews, uh, <laughs> the the book that spawned a thousand. I guess we should finish reading this. It's good, bad. I don't know. 
Which would be, of course, to to this day, I don't remember how it ended. (laughs) Joe Joe the the Barbarian. Barbarian. Joe the (laughs) Barbarian, which was a very, very interesting read. One of our our most uh, uh, controversial reviews on Near Mint Mint History about a young kid who... um, is possibly going through a, a well, is I think definitely going through a, a diabetic shock, and maybe in a portal fantasy where he's in a magical world yeah. uh, populated by his toys. So, like player uh, Ready Player One, only with more diabetic shock. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to compare compare it to the Wizard of Oz, but with more diabetic shock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot more diabetic shock than you would have expected in this story. Very interesting read, and one it was from a period of Vertigo where you stopped realizing, and that may have been the you know the the spiral out for Vertigo is that at some point or other, like it maybe mainstream comics got a little bit more adults. Maybe people got a little bit less impatient with non-adult comics. You know, at this point, Civil War is out and and they're dealing with somewhat more adult themes. And it, it starts, you start to question, what, I, I stopped wanting to read about adults smoking clothes in the parking lot, dealing with Swamp Thing. Uh, at this point, like, you know, you start to maybe lose the value of the books and that makes people a little hesitant. You also had other brands kind of come in there trying to do the same thing that Vertigo was doing and attracting these creators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Image and things like that. Uh, you know, you've got series published. Dark Horse. Bu- Dark yeah. Horse, yeah. Yeah. right? Those were the traditional ones, but at that point you had IDW and IDW, Boom. Boom. Yeah. You know, and they're even taking people like Vaughn and, and some of these creators who used to work at Vertigo, and, you know, they give them more of that freedom, more of that creator-owned power. So it was where Vertigo was a half-step at a time when there were no full steps, and now there there are more options for publishers. Right, but, I mean, it's not as if this period wasn't still jam-packed with good good books. Um, Jesse, you're the the guy with a million recommendations. You have, like, a a list you want to go through us really quick before, before we wrap up? Um, well, one that I, I think we probably should mention, just because I think it's a big one, and you know, you guys just brought up Grant Morrison, which reminded me, is uh, The Invisibles. Oh, that yeah. was sort of a huge book in its own weird way, um, you know. And uh, you know, obviously, like I don't know, there was a whole thing where like a lot of stuff w- was supposedly borrowed from um, from The Invisibles by uh, the the Wachowskis for The Matrix, and there was a lot of like stuff about that, but. You know, I think that was an important uh, Vertigo book as well that just did a lot of big things. And if you're looking for something that fits that, like, Vertigo epic style, um, I think that one is a huge one that you can't get around. Right. Absolutely. 100 Bullets was all the rage for quite a while. Ooh. Yeah, that that ended kind of weirdly, in my opinion. But, yes, it was a great concept, and I did enjoy it for a while. I think uh, one of the, like, the, like, the double, the... The, the double-edged sword, one of the edges of the double-edged sword? What the hell does that mean? Anyways, one of those those issues is that when you have a creator-owned or a um, creator-controlled work, um, if it ends a little iffy, that's it. That's how they wanted to end it. I mean, when you have an a prob- uh, editorial team and a publishing team that's willing to pick up Spider-Man again in a week and take it back after that Ben Parker thing, you can do it. Mm. You just can't mm. do that necessarily with 100 Bullets or Why the Last Man or anybody else or any of these other these books that are out there. Um, anything else? 
I, I, I've always wanted to pick up uh, Lovecraft. Uh, Lovecraft looked really cool for me. Hans uh, Rodinoff and Keith Griffin, and and so that I think that was um that looked really interesting. But I'm a big Lovecraft fan. I'm a creepy horror guy. Um, my deep cut pick for you guys, um, and it was a very short lived series. And to be honest with you, my memory of it is a little fuzzy, but I remember liking it. Was a book called Midnight Mass. Um, I think it only lasted like two arcs, but it was about a married couple who fought supernatural beings and traveled around America and such. That's awesome. That's really cool. And there's still some products. I mean, the, obviously, some of these books are still going on, but even beyond the books themselves, uh, I think iZombie's still being produced. I think the TV show is still out there, still going pretty oh. strong. Ah, uh, yes. A very, very different. The comic was very different from the show, like extremely different. Oh, really? I only yeah. read the first or like a zero issue of the comic when the TV series came out. And then I watched a little bit of the TV series and I enjoyed it. They kind of promised you the premise of iZombie in the original previews for the comic, you know, about like, you know, she eats people's brains to learn about their minds and solve cases. And they did that for like one issue of the comic. And then it went into like just the most bizarre, bonkers, like occultist weirdness that you've seen in anything. And oh, wow. It was, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was like just just a, a crazy series, like worth checking out just for ha like the odd directions it went. Anything else? Yeah. Moonshadow. It's uh, it was an awesome book. It was uh, just like one big collection. But the idea was uh, it was basically a kid who was like traveling through space. Um, he was kind of like a weird star child and just traveling to different planets and encountering a bunch of depressing stuff that, <laughs> you know, but was also kind of like beautiful in its depressingness. Oh, that's cool. I was just thinking of a, a modern series I read a little bit of that I think will be continuing over into the DC labels, American Vampire, which is Scott Snyder's series that um, is do that does vampire pieces throughout American history that even has Stephen King come in and guest write some stories. So oh, that's awesome. Those have, those have always <laughs> been really good. Uh, there is some connecting threads, but I kind of pop in and out when uh, one of the arcs seems like it's going to deal with a time period that I find interesting. So we've been hinting at this this entire time. This is not the end for Vertigo, uh, although it may be the end for the imprints. Uh, what is DC going to do with all these properties now? Does anyone know? Well, starting in January of 2020, DC is going to be uh, now releasing books under three main categories. Books intended for readers aged 8 to 12 will be labeled under the DC Kids label. Uh, okay, all those Vertigo books. For <laughs> no, that's not Vertigo. Yeah, hey, creature uh, for kids. <laughs> Thirteen and up is going to be just DC, and then the old Vertigo stuff is going to be rolled into a seventeen and older category under the name DC Black, uh -huh. which yep. was launched, I think, last year. Yeah, yeah. To uh, like a little stutter start. Uh, you know what? I. I I'm not super happy about this, but trying not to be a neckbeard, I hate change kind of guy. Uh, I get it. I get DC only has uh, so much. <laughs> wow, this really makes it feel like uh, DC's a plucky young brand. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're going to want to you put all your you want to you want to focus your attention. But let people think DC is as valuable a commodity as any other major comic book company out there mm -hmm. so that when disney comes sniffing around they'll have something good to sell i guess i don't know what do you do dc black under fox touchtone 
How does that work? <laughs> they did the Interestingly five- enough, Vertigo, I think, first started off as an attempt to talk about like the Ouroboros of history. Vertigo started off as an attempt uh, to do some of the things that Touchtone was supposed to do. There was supposed to be a Touchtone brand for comics. So Disney had Touchtone to make like more adult oriented movies that weren't Disney movies. And they were going to be Touchstone comics, but that folded up. So that then they did Vertigo. And then Disney eventually, years later, would buy Marvel. I'm almost positive what I just said wasn't complete crap. But I, I'm pretty almost. sure that's all true. Almost positive. Almost positive. Yeah. If you think I'm wrong, write a letter to the Nonproductive Network at nearmit at non-productive.com. Thank you for joining us. Uh, of course, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Near Mitt, please like, follow, and subscribe to get the latest episode in the podcatcher of your choice. Thank you, Jesse Barufi, for being our special guest. And thank you for having me. Thanks, James, for being a slightly less special guest. Well, I, at least I didn't bring the Sonic suit this time. And uh, thank you, Pete, for joining me in Near Mint, as always. Uh, so. Leave us a good review. Five stars is the best. And thank you all. Good night. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.